Welcome to Oy Vey Isn't a Strategy, Success Solutions for Work and Life, with Deborah Grayson Regal, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast, The Seven New Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm your coach, Deborah Grayson Regal. In the news recently was the sad story that Stephen Covey, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, had passed away. He, to many of us, had been a a guru of good habit-making, great behaviors, and a really refreshing perspective on the world. And his habits will continue to withstand the test of time, as they had for many, many years. And in thinking about his seven habits, I started to think about seven other habits that I use or that people who I know to be particularly effective in their work and their life use. And today's podcast is going to share seven other habits that I've observed. And I invite you at the end of today's podcast to please share with me some habits that you have noticed for yourself that have helped you to be effective. So I was thinking about habits and and when I was thinking about my own habits, one of the first ones that leapt out at me was uh, a habit that I created for myself around my magazine consumption. Now, I would love to say that I am a deep intellectual and really spend my time looking at academic journals and reading the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times when I'm not reading the Torah, but none of that would be true. Yes, I do read the newspaper, but I must admit that I start with the arts and leisure section first and then move on to travel and then business. And then if there's any other time, I, I, you know, hop into the news. I really, really love reading. I read a lot of fiction and nonfiction, but my reading treat is junkie magazines. And junkie isn't a word that I'm using about you and your interests. It's a word that I use about me and my interests. I love People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, Us Weekly, and anything else of that genre. I am endlessly fascinated by the life of celebrities. Don't ask me why. If I had to analyze it, that would be an entirely different podcast. So I subscribe to a number of these magazines, and I know how excited I get to be up on the latest celebrity news. But I also attach my magazine reading to something that I don't really like to do, which is exercise. So while I often go to a gym and have group exercise there, there are times that I exercise at home or need to exercise at home, get on the treadmill, get on the elliptical. And in fact, I save my junkie magazine reading for those times that I need to exercise at home. And it's actually a visual cue for me that when I see that I'm three weeks behind on my Entertainment Weekly, my People, and my Us magazine, I go, "Uh uh-oh, I probably haven't been exercising as much as I should because the habit that I created for myself is that if I want to indulge in that junky tabloid fodder, the only place that I'm allowed to indulge is while I am breaking a sweat. And that might sound like cruel and unusual punishment, but I have to say, after locking that habit in, I really now associate those magazines with exercise. And uh, 
Good for me that I haven't broken my habit of loving that tabloid trash because when I see those magazines stacked up, it's a really good reminder for myself that it's time to get on the elliptical, get on the treadmill, and that is a habit that I've created for myself. So I was thinking about that one as I started thinking about seven other habits that are highly effective for myself or for people that I know and admire, and so today I'm going to share them with you. And the seven habits are know where you do your best thinking, eat that frog, and I'll explain that one, uh, have healthy distractions, get curious, know what you're willing to sacrifice, reinterpret the truth, and when you offer help, offer specific help. So the first one is know where you do your best thinking. Now, there are all different kinds of thinking out there, and uh, again, it's a different podcast to talk about the multiple kinds of thinking, but I know many people who have a particular place where they do their best thinking. A colleague of mine, Todd Churches, who runs a company called Big Blue Gumball, has often said that he does some of his very best thinking in the shower. Now, whether it's the alone time or the rhythm of the water pouring down off the shower head into the bottom of the shower, whatever it is, that is a place where he thinks is best and in fact has actually gotten uh, double the benefit out of the habit because since he knows that his thinking habit often happens best in the shower, he has coupled it with a way to capture what he thinks about and he now keeps a waterproof pad of paper, I'm sure which you can find on Amazon, uh, attached to the wall of his shower so when he is doing his best thinking in the shower, he's also able to capture his best thinking. I do some of my best thinking in two particular places. If I am doing some kind of repetitive motion activity like spinning on a spin bike, which spinning on a spin bike doesn't allow me to read my People magazine, but it does allow me to do my best thinking because the only part of my body that's really moving are my legs and I don't have to concentrate. And when I do that, I am able to actually brainstorm solutions to challenges while my legs are going hopefully at 100 miles an hour probably a little bit less. The other place that I do my best thinking is in my bed, but I do my best thinking while I'm sleeping. And here's the way that it works for me. If I have a particular challenge that I'm working through, I actually consciously put the challenge in my mind when I'm lying down for sleep. And I tell myself to work through this challenge while I sleep. And I would say 90% of the time I wake up either having dreamt it or having no consciousness of having dreamt it, but with a range of solutions available to me in the morning that weren't available to me the night before. So if you ever see me asleep on the job, I promise you that I will claim that I am doing my very best thinking there. And people have a variety of places where they do their best thinking, depending upon the kind of thinking that they need to do. When last summer I was writing my book, Oive Isn't a Strategy, I actually locked myself in a a cubicle in the library to do some of my very best thinking. And that was a really helpful place for me. I associated being locked in a cubicle in a library with high school where I had written some of my very best papers and it, it brought about a memory for me that was very helpful. So the first effective uh, habit would be to know where you do your best thinking and to carve out some time and space to do some of your thinking then and there. 
The second habit, eat that frog. So I didn't come up with that saying. That's actually the title of a book by an author named Brian Tracy, Eat That Frog. And the idea is that if you have a frog you have to eat, you might as well just eat it. So the point of this habit is if you have something unpleasant that you need to do, you might as well just go and do it. The frog isn't going to jump away. The frog isn't going to disappear. The frog isn't going to shrink just because you do, just because you don't want to do that thing. I think about eat that frog, and in fact, those three words come into my head every single time I go to my CrossFit exercise class. And for those of you who have not heard about the phenomenon known as CrossFit, it's a workout program that's group training where you basically are lifting massive amounts of weight, heavier than anything you could probably do on your own, under your own motivation, and it's a very quick and efficient workout, typically running from 15 to 20 minutes long. And there will be times when there is a barbell on the floor that is 110 pounds that I have to lift in some way. Typically, that would be a deadlift weight for me. And I have a number of reps that I have to accomplish. And sometimes that bar will be sitting on the on the ground while the clock is running out time. And I will have gotten through a number of reps, and I know that I have to do more. And I'm looking at that bar on the ground, and I'm looking at that bar on the ground, and I'm willing it to jump up into my arms, and it doesn't happen. It's a really good reminder for me when one of the coaches comes over to me and says, Deb, uh, you're not going to get the work done just by staring at it. Pick it up. So one of the very, very good habits of highly effective people is that when there is something distasteful, unpleasant to do, heavy lifting as it might be, that you just go ahead and do it rather than running out the clock hoping it'll shrink or hoping it'll disappear. What I've actually found is that these loads grow heavier the longer that you look at them. The third habit is have healthy distractions. Now, I use healthy distractions in many, many areas of my life, and I also have a number of unhealthy distractions as well. So, for example, if I'm feeling anxious, an unhealthy distraction would be a packet of M&Ms. That way I don't have to concentrate on the anxiety I'm feeling, but I wouldn't call it a healthy distraction, um, especially if I happen to be feeling anxious every single day. But an example for me of a healthy distraction would be counting. Now, in many, many situations when I find myself in a time of stress or needing to get through something unpleasant, I use counting as a distraction. So, for example, and pardon me for getting graphic, but hey, it's who I am, I uh, often take business trips to China, and one of the things that I like least about my trips to China are needing to use squat toilets. Now, if you are a man listening to this, this makes no difference to you, but if you are a woman, uh, imagine just a hole in the ground that requires some kind of uh, flexibility that you squat over, and I will leave it at there. It is so fundamentally unpleasant to me and often stinky to me that I use counting as a way to get myself through it. And typically I'm counting down. So I would pick a number such as 20 and count down for 20, having told myself that by the time I get to one, this will be over. I use it on the subway when I'm feeling crowded. I actually use it with my kids that when they're getting a shot or something they need to be distracted from, we use counting as well. 
And when they need to get a shot and they're feeling distracted, I use a healthy distraction like counting coupled with, I must admit it, an unhealthy distraction like a lollipop. So there are times when the unhealthy distraction is the thing to do. And then there are other times when having a healthy distraction, such as counting or breathing or meditating or going for a walk uh, or picking up a, a book to read is a healthy distraction that will keep you from engaging in unhealthy behaviors. The fourth habit is about getting curious. I would imagine that if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably a born problem solver. And so when somebody comes to you with a challenge, a problem, or an opportunity, you likely jump in with some solutions. And there's nothing wrong with solving problems, but I think that the most effective people I know ask a lot of questions, relevant questions, before they get involved in problem solving. So an example that I often use in my workshops is imagine that your boss gave you the command, jump. So you know that one question you could ask is, how high? But I would invite you to think about other questions before you start to jump. Not just how high, uh, what's the context for the jump? Who else will be jumping with me? How will this jump be funded? Have we jumped before? How have previous jumps turned out? What is the goal for this jump? Who are the stakeholders involved in this jump? And so on and so on and so on. So I use jump just as an example to show you that it doesn't matter what the topic is, but before you follow a command or start to problem solve, really effective people get really curious about understanding what else is involved, who else is involved, what the context for this is, what the vision is, how long it'll take, when it's supposed to happen, and all of those kinds of things. So I invite you to get curious before you problem solve. Number five, be willing to sacrifice. And by be willing to sacrifice, what I mean is that the most effective people I know recognize that they can't always get all of what they want. And in fact, most of us won't be able to get all of what we want in a particular situation. And you need to keep in mind that typically you're going to have to give something up in order to get more of what you want. So my husband, Michael, is a consultant on project management, and he often talks about a golden triangle of time, quality, and cost. And whether you're managing a big project or a small project, time, quality, and cost are three th things that impact most of what we do. And he always advises his clients that you need to pick the two out of the three that are most important to you. So for example, if you want something done quickly and cheaply, you could probably have that but you're going to sacrifice quality. If you want something done quickly and of high quality, guess what? It's going to cost you a lot. So a starting part to think about sacrificing, uh, thinking about these three elements on what my husband Michael calls the golden triangle, price, time, and quality, and think about which two of those are the most important for you in any project you undertake. The sixth habit is reinterpreting the truth. Anytime I hear the truth, and I hear it often because I am a mom of 11-year-old twins who are often vying for the truth, I always have to have a chuckle. 
There is no such thing as the truth for most of us. And in fact, as author Susan Scott says in her book, Fierce Conversations, everybody holds a piece of the truth. So when you are thinking about somebody's truth being truer than, than somebody else's, you actually are right on the right path, recognizing that there are multiple truths to any situation that exists. And your job is to recognize that there are multiple truths, to give all of the stakeholders an opportunity to reveal their perspective of the truth. And then in order to move forward, you pick the truth that will get you closer to where you want to be. But recognize that there are multiple truths, and at some point you may need to pick a different version of the truth that gets you closer to what you want. And the seventh new habit of highly effective people is to offer specific help when you are offering help. Now, this is something that I've read in, in countless magazines, both the ones that I allow myself to read on the treadmill and off, that when you are offering to help somebody, maybe somebody who's had a loss, somebody who's suffered a setback, somebody who's sick, rather than ask, how can I help, offer to help with something specific. So, for example, a, a friend of mine recently had a member of her family family have surgery. And rather than say, how can we help? We offered food and a run to the dry cleaner. It was very specific help. And it helped somebody who probably isn't very used to asking for help identify what they need. And one way of thinking about the kind of help that you might offer is deciding whether the person that you need or want to help needs something tangible. Do they need uh, a meal? Do they need instruction on how to do something? Do they need something physical or tangible? Or do they actually just need some cheerleading, a shoulder to cry on, somebody to cheer them up, somebody to rally the troops? And when you're thinking about offering help, whether it's to a colleague, whether it's to a friend, whether it's to a client, whether it's to a family member, Remember to offer something specific, and of course, you want to use another habit, which is get curious about what they might need, but if somebody says, I don't know what I need, I think I just might need help, offer to do something specific and try a couple of things, maybe give somebody a choice of three. Uh, do you need a meal cooked? Do you need somebody to pick up your kid? Uh, or do you actually just need somebody to come sit with you in, in the waiting room while you await test results? Offer somebody three things because if you're like me, it can be very challenging to ask for help. But if somebody offers me something specific, I'm much more likely to take them up on it. In conclusion, the seven habits of highly effective people that Stephen Covey created will live on, and I hope you take these seven new habits to add to the old seven habits to help enrich your work and your life. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to speaking to you next time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Oyve is in the Strategy. We invite you to write a review on our iTunes page and comment on our show page at jcastnetwork.org. Slash Oive. The opening and closing music for the Oive podcast is Responsibility by Naomi Less. Her album, The Real Me, is available on Amazon, iTunes, and CD Baby.